I know some of you guys have heard the link. Has, has anybody here listened to our podcast before? A couple of you. Ben, you said you had. <laughs> Thanks, man. So what we do, what the Linky Guys is, <coughs> we're just Linky guys. So we started this podcast. This started um, as just something Father Peter and I were working together in our work over with the ministry, talking about the Sunday readings. And we started having lots of fun doing it together, kind of connecting all the dots. And so Father Peter one day was like, hey, let's get an iTunes site and start putting it up and see what happens. Yeah. And so we put it on iTunes and it, people started listening to it. And now we have a couple hundred listeners every week um, from all over the country, I, even from all over the world that they're yeah. somehow finding out about us. Um, so it's cool. So we're gonna, you're going to be on the air with, I don't know, we get 300 to 400 a week. Who listen to us? Yeah, yeah, um, about five, six hundred downloads. <coughs> so some people, my brother included, he doesn't actually listen to it on the week. He listens to it after the Sunday uh, mass. Wisdom and knowledge, people. That's what we're about we'll here. See about that. We're gonna see if you actually get some. This is all an experiment. So if it goes horribly, it's all your fault. Yep. <laughs> and we—it's usually just us in a room talking to each other, making fun of each other. So I don't know exactly how it's gonna work with everybody, but um, be loud, be excited, be because the other thing about this, I mean. We have a sitting audience, um, a lot of whom I would also like to tell about Camboy Tiwa because they're all going to be listening to this. <laughs> so I also want to know what we're doing this summer right here. So, um. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. I am Father Peter Musset. And I am Scott Powell. And we're on the hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're on a different hill, so this is this is a very special episode of The Word on the Hill. We are actually recording live from a place called Camp Boitiwa. And we got a big crowd with us today. We are at a place, we're in the mountains, we're at a camp that my wife and I run outside of Jamestown, Colorado. So we're about an hour and a half up from Boulder, and we're an adventure program where we bring young people into the wilderness. We do mountaineering, we do all sorts of cool things, and we teach them about the Catholic faith through those activities. So we have our summer counselor staff with us right now who are going to be leading these expeditions for these young people. They're coming from all over the country. They're mainly college students from all over the U.S., and they've given up their whole summer to serve with us and to minister to these kids, and we are super pumped to have them here. And Father Peter has come up to be with us to say some uh, say some masses to say a mass with us, and and, uh, and yeah, just give us some support. And your son is is over actually wandering, throwing around a water pump and he using is, it as a sword. He I is think throwing he, a water pump. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> which is just day to day life. Yeah, that, that's how you guys live. Around that's here. how we live. This is, a, this is a good time, man. Absolutely. So, um, you guys enjoying your time at Camp Boitua so far? Yeah. Awesome. So we have our first group of well, actually, geez. So we're actually recording this a little bit in advance. We're kind of pre-recording this. So this is the 11th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and we actually haven't even hit the 10th Sunday in Ordinary Time. So if some major apocalypse happens or the world ends, we're sorry we didn't catch that in the podcast, but it just hasn't happened to us yet. So um, whatever it does, we'll be right there with you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is it, it's really interesting because the, the, this is we have to talk about our method mm. because one of the things that we do um, that uh, uh, Don Baselli fast forwards uh, uh, past every single time he listens to the podcast with his kids um, <laughs> is that we just talk about normal daily life and we talk about the interesting things or uh, not so interesting things that happen to us dur during yeah. the week because we, we're trying to make this a very human experience which usually ends up just being me and Father Peter making fun of one another yeah absolutely so you, so you could just fast forward the par front part of the uh, the uh, podcast. Oh, Actually, man, listen Don, to it. Well, no, Don said that if I mentioned this at the beginning that he wouldn't hear it, so I have to make fun of him again at the end of the, the podcast. Well, that's so fair. For fast-forwarding the best part. Maybe his brother Steve will listen to it and be able to make fun of him. <laughs> then, then tell him when. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. I guess that's as good, a, as good of a shout-out as we're going to get. Yeah. 
today. Well, so we also like to do shout outs for people sometimes when they send us emails and be- stuff. Because I listen to this podcast called um, a Group Therapy with Above and Beyond, and it's like it's like techno music. And they always give the best shout outs. They're always like, oh, this is from uh, Shante in Africa. There she is uh, wishing her be- boyfriend best luck in his finals as he does everything. Good luck. <laughs> it, it's like... It is awesome. And they're like, it was awesome to see everybody in Amsterdam. And then we went to Germany. It was wonderful. Have a great time. So I really just want to be like them. <coughs> yeah. And it really doesn't ever work I- unless I make that <laughs> voice. And then and it just never happens. But so. sometimes people do send us emails, um, although I don't have internet at the moment, because we're in the wilderness for Pete's sake, which is this is kind of an awkward environment. We're in a huge, massive canvas tent that we call base camp. Um, in the middle of the wilderness, far away from any city, looking at this beautiful, pristine wilderness, and we've got a bunch of laptops and microphones and stuff set up. So it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive, I guess. Yeah, but it's awesome. Well, dude, we got some readings to talk about. We got some stuff. So let's, let's jump into it. So we're in, what are we, the 11th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and our first reading this week comes from the book of Second Samuel, which is also my son's name. But he's the first one. He's the first Samuel I've had. Yeah, that's the, that, that's good. What? I feel like everyone is laughing really politely <laughs> at everything we say, so that's awesome. Th- this is how, you. if you're listening uh, on on a podcast and not here, this is how you should be reacting every time Absolutely. we say something funny. So, um, Absolutely. So especially you, Avery. So, uh, <laughs> And Avery, we are drinking really good coffee and right now as you drive to work, not having had yours yet. Yeah, oh. But this, so, se- well, it is, first and second Samuel are kind of broken up, so it's, um, there's a, basically three different characters that show up throughout the books of Samuel. There is this guy, Samuel, who, if you guys remember Samuel, Samuel was a prophet. He was one of them. I mean, the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament consistently, it's this list and these stories of these just awful, terrible people, right? And, you know, we, our, our group talked about this the other day as we went through a little bit of salvation history, that for the ancients, when they read the Old Testament, you know, they saw these as books of instruction, and oftentimes these were instructions on what not to do. And a lot of times that's what these stories are doing. But Samuel, Samuel is one of my favorite characters in scripture because he's just holy. He's just a good man. He's got this story. His mother, his name was Han- her name was Hannah. And she was this righteous woman that was just getting beat up by the world. And she was praying for a child because that was what she wanted more than anything. And remember, she goes into the, into the temple and she's praying and the priest there thinks she's drunk. And he sends her out and she's like, no, I just want to pray for my kid. And, yeah. this, and she just can't catch a break. And she's no. got these two, this husband who's a jerk and... All this stuff. I have to tell you, when, when drunk people come into the church and pray, I am always like wondering. I'm like, that's weird. I'm like, and they're like, I just want a son. And you're like, girl, what you doing? But um, like, you know, there are easier ways of accomplishing this. So yeah. it's called getting married. Well, she was married. Oh, she was? Yeah. That's right. But her was. husband had two wives. And it was, I mean, seriously, which, if you which, read... Which, whenever, you have to remember this when you're listening to the Old Testament, listening to the Old Testament, when you're reading the Old Testament, that um, the, the, it doesn't always tell you that things are wrong. Hmm. So you're going to be watching and you're like, okay, so you have two wives. Well, we're going to see the result in the distress and the turmoil in those people's lives. It's Absolutely. not going to say, oh, having two wives is a bad thing. You're just going to see that their lives are going to crumble and it's going to be massively complicated. Absolutely. People are going to be crying and the results are disastrous. Absolutely. But it doesn't always say that. And so we have to remember that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what people kind of criticize the Bible for sometimes, right? They're saying, well, look at all these terrible things that happen. You know, the Bible condones polygamy and it condones this and that. No, it doesn't. It's just telling you an error of and expecting that you're going to put the pieces together. Look, somebody commits a sin and a couple chapters later, disaster befalls their life. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. But I mean, the story of of Hannah, Samuel's mother, it's a really profound story. So she's got 
uh, this co-wife. I don't know what you call another wife that you're in a polygamous relationship with. If you guys do email us. But the sister wife. Is it called a sister wife? Is that true? Is there's a TV show? Fair enough. Is We're it good? You is guys it all from Utah? <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. So the sister wife. So there's this. She, Hannah's got this husband who's a jerk. The the sister wife is able to to bear children, and Hannah's not. She's she's barren. She can't have kids. So which wife do you think the husband's gonna prefer? Well, he prefers the other wife, and he always kind of makes fun of Hannah. The other wife, the sister wife, makes fun of her. And um, it's really sad. There's this one scene that just kind of uh, – it's, it's symbolic of this whole deal. The husband comes to Hannah, and he's like, hey, don't worry. I know you can't have kids. I know you can't bear children. That's really sad for you. But don't worry because you know what you have? You got me. I'm your <laughs> husband. So don't worry. It's cool. I guess. But it's just Ooh. this terror. You're like, oh, this poor woman. So she has Samuel. Samuel is this great prophet, and one of Samuel's major jobs – is to go and anoint the kings. And so he anoints first this king named Saul, who's the second major figure in these books. And Saul becomes the first king of Israel. Does anybody remember what Saul was like? Was he a good guy or bad guy? Bad guy. You're supposed to be asking me. I'm I'm, I'm your partner in this podcast. Father Peter, (laughs) was Saul good or bad? He was a bad guy. He was a terrible guy. Yeah, yeah. but he was the the properly anointed one. And that's the thing. Later on in the story, Samuel is going to tell David, this little shepherd boy, that you know what? We have this terrible king, this lousy guy, but God has chosen that you are going to be the king. But guess what? You have to wait it out. You have to wait through this guy's life. And David ends up waiting a a ridiculously long time in between the time he finds out that he's anointed king and when he can finally act on it. And in between that time, Saul is threatening his life. He's chasing him out to the wilderness. Remember, he's trying to kill him. And there's this one moment. I always tell my kids the story before bed because they just love it. But remember that one moment? So David is hiding out in the wilderness with his little guys. And Saul comes out and he's looking for him. And Saul has to use the bathroom. And so he goes into that cave and he's sitting in this cave and he's going to the bathroom. And David sneaks up. up. And, and cuts off parts of his part of his cloak, right? Yeah, he cuts off a little corner of his cloak, and all of his buddies are like, "Hey, kill him! Go get him! Look, he's a sitting duck." And David just cuts off his cloak. And he says, "I could have killed you. Yeah, I could have done you in, sucker." <laughs> right. <laughs> he does, but he he's like, like, "But I didn't. Why not? Because you're the you're, Lord's anointed. God has chosen you yeah. right now, and you're still alive. And that's the humility in that. I just think is is super profound. So he waits a long time, and finally becomes king." Um, none of this has anything to do with our reading today, but it, it is set up the stage, right? Because yeah. David is shown to be this super righteous, patient, holy guy. He's waiting on the Lord. But then, remember, this is kind of symptomatic in the Bible. It's symptomatic with all of us, or emblematic maybe. For all of us in our, our walks with the Lord, when we become comfortable, even if we fought hard to get there, even if we've struggled and wrestled with holiness, when we become comfortable in something, we tend to get lazy. And David finally becomes king. He builds this temple. He's got a beautiful palace. He's living the life. And then war breaks out. And we're told in 2 Samuel that the time for war came. And it says the time when kings go to war showed up. And guess where David was? He said he slept in. He's hanging on his couch. He's hanging on his couch. And then there just happened to be this gal mm. who had a nice rooftop apartment, mm. just a little bit uh, off of uh, the uh, balcony of David. And I don't know. She just happened to like to bathe naked on in a front of, on, a, on a roof where she, the king could see. Mm. <laughs> not a good idea. It's <laughs> true. Yeah, and 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 so and David was like, this woman's good looking, yeah. and uh, and and thus we have the story of David and Bathsheba. Mm. Bathsheba is that? Is there something to that? Oh yeah, there is, and I'll get to it in a second. Okay, sweet. So we get the story of David and Bathsheba. Right, he commits adultery with her. She gets pregnant 
which he wasn't expecting, surely. I mean, it's this classic kind of moral theological tale of you do, you know, little things lead to great things. Little things lead to big things. So David has this bit of laziness. He doesn't go to war when he's supposed to go to war. He oversleeps. He's hanging on the couch. He's just acting lazy. And then one thing leads to another, and he sees this girl, and then he invites her over, and then he gets her pregnant, and then he realizes, uh-oh, that's no good. So he brings her husband, who's actually fighting the war for him, in from the battlefield, and he's like, hey, I want you to go spend the night with your wife. You're doing such a great job. And he's like, no, man, I'm not going to do that. I, man. He's like, i got to be with my men, yeah. my brothers. So he sleeps in the street. He's like, I will not go and sleep in my comfy bed when all of my all my brothers are out of the battlefield. Yeah. So David's like, ah, man. He, he's, like, he's like, what do I do? Yeah, it's profoundly difficult. Yeah, so what does he do? He sends, uh, well, he tells his commander to send him to the most fierce fighting at the front line and pull back when the fighting is most intense to make sure that Uriah is surrounded and have him killed, essentially, by putting him into the fierceness of the fight, using his own righteousness against him, yep. his own strength. And yep. it's pretty wicked, actually, if you think about that. It's totally wicked. And so this righteous king who's waited and patient is awesome. He falls into the sin of laziness, and then adultery, and then murder, and then cover-up. It's, it's a pretty ugly deal. And this is kind of around when we enter into the story. And David's kind of sitting there. He's probably happy with himself for de dealing with the situation. And this prophet named Nathan shows up into the royal throne room. And, and the prophets are always kind of the thorn in the side for the Israelite kings. And so Nathan comes strolling in. And he's like, hey, David, I want to tell you a story. You love stories, right? And David's like, yeah, I love stories. And so he comes in. And he's like, oh, there's this great story. There was this guy. There was this king. No, there was this rich guy. He changes the words. There was this rich guy, and he had so many cattle and so many oxen. He had all this stuff, all this money. But he had a next-door neighbor. And this next-door neighbor had this one tiny little ewe lamb. And he loved this ewe lamb like a daughter, is what Nathan says. Do you know what the Hebrew word for daughter is? No, but I know that they, uh, yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I was going to say something about Pearl Jam, but then I decided nice, not to. Good work. Yeah. This, is a diff this, is, this crowd can't, I'm not. Do you guys like, okay. Yes, Woo! <laughs> okay, well there we go. So, no, what is the Hebrew word for daughter? Bath, B-A-T-H. Oh, Bath. Bath. What's the name of the woman that he just had an affair with? Bath Sheva. What does Shiva mean? Anyone know? Um, well, is it from the, the Shiva prayer? Isn't there? I don't know. No, no. The Shema. Know. You're oh, thinking that's of the Shema, Shema prayer. Yeah, it's the yeah. same word that we get Sabbath and oh, Sabbath rest. from. Actually, covenant. Covenant. It's a derivative of rest and covenant. Bath Shiva. The Shiva is a covenant. Oh, man. So her name literally means the daughter of the covenant. Ooh. And so here comes Nathan. <laughs> And he's like, hey, there's this guy, and this guy, he had this little ewe lamb, and it was the thing he loved more than anything. It was like a bath to him. You kind of see what he's doing here. Oh. He says, but the rich guy, he went in, and he took that guy's ewe lamb, and he stole it, and he slaughtered it, and he killed it, and he had it for a meal. He's like, what should be done to this guy? And David is fired up, and he's riling. He's like, no, he should, be, he should have to pay tenfold and you know, pay it back and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And what's the, the famous line of Nathan? You are the man. Oh. <laughs> Right? Dude, I mean, yeah, it cut him to the quick. It's like one of my favorite moments of all time. Like, I wish I could tell stories and parables like that. I know. But I, I really can. I'm not Sometimes that masterful. Sometimes I do. Do I? Yeah. You're nice to me. No, you do. I mean, you tell your own parables. You're my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I usually fast forward the first five minutes of your homilies. Oh, at mass and I close them. But I know that you tell parables, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. No, you do tell stories. That's the best. Though. You have great stories. Thanks. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Yeah, the, God is responsible for all of them. Oh. Uh, but I have to tell them. And, yeah, and that's I, true. Yeah. But this is cool. So the reason I bring all this stuff up, why, why are we giving all this background? Well, it's kind of cool. The, the story that Nathan tells to David is actually, I think, the first example that we get in all the scriptures of a parable. 
right? We just talked about parables, yeah. but it's the model sort of for what Jesus is going to do. What do parables do? Well, parables, as the ancient fathers of the church said, have the ability to conceal and reveal simultaneously. So it conceals something. That the fathers of the church had this great analogy. A good parable is like a fish hook that's covered with like really tasty bait, like with a hot dog or something, right? <laughs> and before the fish knows it, he's like, hot oh, dog. hot dog. And he, I guess they didn't use that in the Middle Ages <laughs> no, or in the, in the first century. But, you know, you see the bait and the fish bites it. He's like, this is really attractive. And before he knows it, what? You're hooked. And that's what the parable is doing to David, right? He's drawn in by the story. He's sucked in. And before he knows it, oh, he's hooked. And there's no way out. And he's like, oh, geez, that is what I did. And that moment is where we step into the story now. And Nathan says to David, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you the king of Israel. I rescued you from Saul. I gave you all this stuff and, and the house and everything else. And you were king. And if this were not enough, I could count up even more stuff I've done for you. So why have you spurned the Lord and done this evil? You committed murder. You committed adultery. All of this stuff. And this is the moment when Really, when David is shown to be a righteous king, David's not righteous purely because he does all the right things. And none of us are, are holy because we do the right things, right? I mean, what does it mean to be holy? It's oh, Father Riley. So a, a great priest friend of ours was up here a couple days ago. Do you remember what Father Riley said? What is the definition of holiness? Or, what is the definition out. of a saint? I'm sorry. Let me correct that. Shout yeah. it out. What was it? The desire to be holy. No. A sinner who never stops trying. Remember that? That's how you become a saint. I, I love that definition. Like it's that. a sinner that's who good. never stops trying. And that's kind of what David does. He realizes it. He fesses up. But this is really emblematic of what's going to happen the rest of the, the Old Testament because he says, therefore, because you've done this, the sword will never depart from your house. Now, this is a time in history when things are relatively peaceful for David and for the Israelites. But God says, because of this, you know what? There's going to be evil. There's going to be trouble. And it's always going to be there. And for the rest of the Old Testament, guess what? They're always at war. They're always in strife. They're always in trouble. Why? Because sin is never an isolated incident. Sin always kind of destroys the community around us. And David's kind of seeing that in a big way. Well, and it actually continues unto Jesus' age. Yeah, totally. I mean, th totally. that's actually part of the, 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 the reality of the cross is the sword does not depart from the Davidic kingdom right. because Jesus is the proper Davidic heir. And so when, when we see this, this is actually a part of what Jesus is taking to him is the, the result of the sins uh, directly of individuals. And that's why he, he has to actually experience that violence. Totally. The, the last line is really interesting. But Nathan also says to David, the Lord on his part has forgiven your sin and you shall not die. So it's interesting. It says, Nathan makes it clear, your sin is actually forgiven. You're sorry, you've expressed remorse, you've kind of confessed it, so your sin is forgiven. But guess what? That doesn't actually negate all of the effects that your sin is going to bring with it. And that's important for us to realize as well, right? I mean, our, our sins are forgiven. If we go to confession, it's a done deal. These sins are gone, Yep. but there's still effects. I mean, if I've hurt somebody or, or destroyed somebody's reputation, that's still around. Well, and, to be dealt with. and there's also effects in the fact that we become attached. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, like, uh, the concupiscence, you, do, you don't want to feed concupiscence. Totally. And, uh, and so David, you can see those, the results, and he's going to be guilty. Totally. So. But he goes on. Do you know what he... According to tradition, you know what David starts to do right after this scene happens? Write psalms? He starts to write the psalms. I mean, that's the tradition, right? That David begins to write then some of those beautiful penitentiary psalms. Penitentiary? Penit penit penitentiary. Penit that's, that's, that's where you go if you uh, commit some. <laughs> the penitentiary. <laughs> so what, what are they called? The, penit the penitential. Pen penitential. Penitential, thank you. Penitential. Penitential psalms. Whoa, there goes something. It's okay. Is that your drink? No. Okay. <laughs> um, that was my hat. One of which, the penitential psalms, one of which is the psalm that we get. Psalm 32 
It's one of the most famous of the penitential songs and uh, psalms, and traditionally it was believed that David actually wrote this psalm. So, I mean, if we understand tradition, this thing happens to David, he realizes his sin, and he probably wrote Psalm 32 pretty soon after. So the, the story kind of continues, Lord, forgive the wrong that I have done, but blessed is he whose fault is taken away, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord imputes not guilt, but the Spirit. There is no guile and all this stuff. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of cool. So I don't have too much more to say about the psalm than that, but it does appear that this is a psalm that David probably wrote right after this incident. That's how the tradition has always understood it. Yeah. Which, and if you read it in that light, it makes the psalm totally come to life. Like David is just a wreck, and you read all these lines. I acknowledge my sin to you. My guilt I covered not. I said I can. I'm a sinner. I've done all this stuff, but you're you're gonna you're gonna take care of me. Well, I, I think it's actually really important to always remember in the midst of the psalms. What you'll see is that the worst of the psalms. The, there's actually there's like one point we might okay yeah where there's a psalm and it's like <laughs> Lord, I find myself you have placed me in a pit of dung which is actually the vernacular, so you can translate that into German, which is uh, merd. So, but that's a, that's a whole other thing. That's Not scheister? I know, that was actually French. Should I cut that out? Yes. <laughs> <It's a laughs> Sorry to all of our friends Well, you can actually, so you could translate it. I mean, there's a certain point in the psalm where it's like, Lord, you have placed me in a pile of shit. We're going to edit that, too. <laughs> <laughs> scat. Scat. Yeah, scat. You have, Lord, you have placed me in a pile of scat. <laughs> This is that's that's the French version, um, and so, <laughs> so, but I will praise you, and it's actually it's like one of the most healing things that you can do is actually praise the Lord in the midst of the sufferings that are present in your life, and that's what Psalm thirty-two is. It, uh, David's actually trying to teach that. It says, you know what I mean? I acknowledge I, I did not cover my soul. I'm going to confess all of this stuff, and but blessed are you in the midst of this, um, in the midst of the fact that I suck. We're good. Okay, I'm, I'm not that good. That's all right. You're smart. I'm stupid. You're okay. good looking. I'm not so attractive. Exactly. No, that's no. what I say to the Lord. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm just looking, looking at, at me you. It's just weird. You looking at me? You talking to no. me? No. Okay. No, not at all. So we're going to go to the Galician. The Galicians. The Galicians. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. It has Galatians. been a long day. Galatians. So I was, I was trying to, I was looking at these earlier this morning and I was trying to figure out, okay, how does Galatians kind of fit into this whole schema? So it comes from Galatians chapter two, the beginning of Galatians. Brothers and sisters, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of where we get this whole battle that the Protestants and the Catholics have been having since the time of Luther about faith versus works, right? This whole thing. Um, a little bit of context on the Galatians, the letter to the Galatians. We talked about this a little bit last week, yeah, right? Yeah, we talked about last week. Um, Galatia, what, what is Galatia? Well, Galatia is actually not one church. It was a group of churches in this region. It's a really rural part of what's present-day Turkey. That's what Galatia is. And the letter that Paul writes to the Galatians is Paul's most ticked-off letter that he writes. Really? He's, yeah. He's honked. He says, oh, he literally says at one point, oh, stupid Galatians. If yeah, you who has exactly. deceived you? Yeah, who's beguiled you? Yeah. But he's, he's ticked off. Even the structure of the letter, all of Paul's letters kind of follow the same literary structure, except Galatians. He cuts out all of the niceties and all the kind of courtesies at the beginning and just jumps into calling them idiots, essentially. But what's going on? He says they've been beguiled. What have they been beguiled by? But what it appears that it's going on, if you kind of put the pieces together, it appears that somebody has come to the church in Galatia after Paul has already spread the gospel there. People are believers. Maybe they've been baptized and they're, they're, they're Christians now. And somebody has come and basically said, okay, we're from Jerusalem. We are true members of the family of God. Paul has lied to you. He didn't give you the whole gospel. He told you something false. He told you you just need to believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized and do all this stuff. He's wrong. You need to keep the Jewish law. You need to be circumcised and keep the kosher food laws and, you know, all this t stuff. T take Deuteronomy to yourself and have all, the, all of the, these really kind of 
really intense, very, very detailed laws that keep exactly. you in the wilderness. Yeah, exactly. Basically. And, and so before I get too much further, the, the tie-in here is really what Galatians is all about, this question, you know, and we've all heard this question, okay, faith versus works. How are we saved? Luther said we're saved by faith, and he was quoting Paul. And he's like, well, the Catholics just think you're saved by your good works and all this stuff. We need to understand what Paul means when he's talking about this. This is what Galatians and Romans are all about, which yep. is the source of the whole fight that caused the Protestant Reformation. Yep. But what's going on here, there's a difference between when Paul says we are justified, there's a difference between justification and salvation. They are not the same thing. Mm. And the question that Paul's dealing with is not, okay, how do I go to heaven? That's not what he's dealing with. That's really not even on his radar screen. I mean, that has something to do with it, obviously. Yep. The question he's dealing with is, how are we justified? What does it mean to be justified? Justified means to be brought into right relationship with God. How do you enter into the covenant family? In the Old Testament, how did they enter into the covenant family? Through circumcision. Through circumcision and the other works of the law, right? Yeah. But for Paul and for the first century, works of the law, that is a technical term for the book of Deuteronomy. That's what it means. So how are we justified? How are we brought into the family of God? Is it through the works of the law of Deuteronomy or is it through faith in Jesus Christ? He's not talking about, okay, how do, you, how do you go to heaven? Is it through having faith alone or is it through doing a bunch of good deeds like going to soup kitchens? That's not what he's talking about. That's not even the conversation, right? Nope. And it, actually, you know, there's one point in the book of Romans, which is related to this, where Paul actually quotes, I think he almost quotes verbatim Psalm 32, what he's saying here, but he changes it around. And, and in, uh, it's in Romans 4. He says, the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And this whole psalm is about blessed is the one who is made righteous by this and that. Paul's saying, guess what? God has chosen a new means to make us righteous, to bring us into the family. It's not through following all these laws and all these rules and circumcision and, and what you can eat and what you cannot eat. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. And for Paul, faith in Jesus Christ is always connected to baptism and what you do. So that, it, it, the reason I think this all ties in, and this gets into pretty deep theology, but the reason this all ties in is that on a certain level, David, in his sin, yes, he can be forgiven of that sin, but he simply cannot access the kind of freedom that is now open and available to you and I through what Jesus Christ has done. He's got means to be forgiven. And yes. he can go through the process of purification in the temple and all this stuff. But what Paul is saying, that's great, but guess what? Jesus has blown the roof off of that. And we can now access that kind of forgiveness through him and him alone. And that, that's really beautiful, but I think that's where it kind of ties in to the rest. Yeah. 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 <laughs> dude, that was really intense, man. I like, know. Sorry. Dude, I felt, I mean, you know, I love Paul. Paul's my, yeah, yeah, Paul's my. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like I was like brother. kayaking through like an intense rapid and I, nice. I had to like pay attention. So it was good. I hope everybody <laughs> else paid attention. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I want to invite you to come to dinner. Nice. With, yeah, Thanks, with, with, the, with the Pharisees. Because <laughs> that's what I think of you. That's a good, oh, oh, I'm just kidding. You're not a Pharisee. Thanks, you man. don't care about works. You only care about faith. I can't think of a way to respond. And that's not true Sorry, either. Okay. No, none of it. So the gospel is from Luke chapter seven. Yeah, right? it's really funny because what I'm realizing is that none of you have actually read any of these readings. So that's okay. So you guys are just listening to us. So you just glean what you can and laugh appropriately, which you keep <laughs> on doing. Uh, I really, I really think the ears keep those going. But a lot of these you're you're familiar with. I mean, yeah, we've yeah. heard of the whole faith versus works. We know yeah, yeah. David, and so it's kind of fun. Digging so, our minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what happens is Luke 7, what, what happened is, is, is the gospel is uh, uh, Pharisees in, invites Jesus to come and dine. And we have... Uh, you just got super intense with your hands just there. Did I? Like, you were like, oh, bro, like, boom, what's up? Okay. 
I put it's my real, hands up like Father Peter's right in the sun and it's I, getting I, really and, hot and, and, and I wear all these black all, black. all this black and like somebody like brought this I'm gonna like curl up right here I can't hear you because your microphone's so far away what'd you say <laughs> it's nice okay sorry please continue okay so Jesus with the Pharisees this is sorry by the way one of three times in the gospels that Jesus dines with Pharisees interestingly oh. enough oh and so uh, and then a woman comes in <laughs> neat <laughs> Neat. That's cool. Why did no, he only good. do it three times? I don't know. Me teether. Sorry, man. Okay. Me teether. I have been teething. Well, you know, what, what does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean to dine with somebody? Do you know? In uh, the ancient world, Jesus' time. Covenant, man. Yeah. It's I mean, family. It, it's establishing that you are actually in relationship. It, 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 yeah. It's like you would invite somebody to come in and dine with you and say, we're, we're going to be family and, and we're going to be able to share all of the privileges of family. And so Jesus dining with people for the, for, for the Pharisees was way intense because it says, you are invited into the family, and this is this is reality. So what happens? They're dining. This woman comes. Well, wait a second, in. really, really quick on that point because that's a really profound point. Thank you. Who does Jesus usually dine with? Sinners and tax collectors. Who's he dining with here? Pharisees. Do you see how it kind of fits into Jesus' trends? Who does Jesus eat with? Sinners. And he's like, hey, Pharisee, can I come to your house for dinner? And, like, and they're wait, like, wait no. <laughs> Normally Aww. they're like, this guy dines with sinners and tax collectors. And they do, yeah, they don't pick up on that. That's yeah, isn't awesome. that interesting? I like that. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Okay. Sorry, so, so he's there. Woman comes in, breaks a, a jar of, uh, an alabaster jar of ointment, pours it all over Jesus' feet. We got to pause there, though, because, I mean, think about this. And maybe you've heard this story before, but just pause with what Father Peter just said and take that for a second. Jesus has invited himself over to some Pharisee's house. Which is what I do as a priest all the time. Absolutely. But he's there. I mean, and, that, and that's cool. So Jesus is there. He's at this Pharisee's house. And what happens? What's yeah. happening while he's at dinner with this Pharisee? A woman comes in. A prostitute kind of, comes into the house. Now imagine that you're at dinner at somebody's house, and, or, or so you've invited somebody over to your house, and a prostitute just breaks into your house and starts smashing jars over your guests. I mean, with, we kind of take that- With perfumed oil. That'd yeah, be intense. We kind of take that for granted, and we're like, oh my gosh, and there was this, but- how did she get? She broke into this guy's house when Jesus was having dinner. She's breaking jars. It, I mean, you can see kind of on a human level why the Pharisee would be like, wait, what? What the heck is going on here? And there's a prostitute in my house doing all sorts of stuff. I didn't invite her. It's, I mean, you can kind of see his argument on one level. Like, she doesn't belong here. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I kind of understand it. I mean, and I have to say the generosity of Jesus in the midst of this, if I go into a department store and somebody like sprays some like perfume on me or some cologne, I'm not into it. But guess what? That's okay. Like, (laughs) so (laughs) this is totally bizarre because we have this whole audience like going on and people are sleeping and (laughs) and like they they've fallen asleep they're crying, dude. We still dude. We started like ten minutes in, so we actually have a lot of time. We're like, dude, this is doing good. We're good. Our time is how I always have a a more immense amount to edit. You guys don't care. Sorry, I'm gonna have to edit that. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah, you guys actually have seen behind the scenes. So yeah, we end up here. Woman breaks the alabaster jar, pours the pours the ointment all over Jesus' feet, which we have this really actually beautiful image in the midst of this that uh, she is actually preparing Jesus for his burial. Um, that this is actually t- to scent his feet uh, in anticipation of his death, even though I'm not sure she understands that, but. But alas, she does it, and she loves him, and she dries the, her she dries his uh, feet with her hair, and uh, with and it's really beautiful. Which wh- that's really intense. I mean, like talk about an intense image, to like cry and weep and and pour ointment over somebody's feet and then dry it with their hair. You guys' feet are disgusting. 
Um, That's true. I just have to say that this is actually more like what it would be like yes. when in Jesus's time. I mean, I got my chakras going and so do a lot of you. And, and like I was looking at your feet and, and to like wash those and to like clean them with Kenan's hair. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, and to anoint them. I mean, they do need some perfume, too. I mean, like I grasp that as well. I have to point out, speaking of Kenan, the other day, Kenan's feet were almost black because we're, we're out here and we're in the wilderness and all this stuff. And my four-year-old daughter, Lily, looked at him and was like, Kenan, your feet are really dirty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that's oh, right. Wow. She was like, oh, wow. <laughs> your feet are really dirty. They looked like socks. Yeah. It's disgusting. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Sorry. But but Jesus if Jesus has this moment and, and well the Pharisee turns to him and says if you knew what kind of woman this was was you're a prophet um, you should know what this woman is you shouldn't let her touch you yeah which is interesting because it actually gets a little bit to the nature of what prophecy is prophecy is not a, a thing where you're going to go tell the future we we think of a prophet and they're like I am a soothsayer. What will befall you in the next week will be terrifying. <laughs> well, and what's the thing? I mean, look, look at what Jesus is asking. He's like, look, I don't know what verse it is because I'm looking at the mass readings and the, the lectionary. But it says Jesus turned to the woman and he said to Simon, "Do you see this woman?" And I actually think that's one of the most profound lines in all of Scripture. When Jesus says, "Do you see this woman?" That's not a rhetorical question. Because what Simon, this Pharisee, is not seeing, Simon's not seeing a woman. He's mm. seeing walking sin. He's not seeing a human being, isn't he? He's like, do you see this is a woman? This is not just walking sin. Yeah. But you're not seeing that. So, I mean, his, his words are really profound there. And I think that that is actually key to what we need to grasp if we're going to be an evangelical people. If we just, you know, we say we, we fight the culture of death and we fight against uh, the powers of, uh, of evil in the world. But if we just see somebody as walking sin, then we're falling prey to not having a heart for evangelism. Because the truth is, is that we need to love people. It doesn't matter where they're at. It's a matter of are we willing to convey the fact that Jesus wants to draw us into the divine life and all of us. I mean, uh, there's, there's not anybody excluded from that. So here's the punchline. Here, here's the here's the here's the Punch kicker me. of this whole of this whole story. So remember what you just quoted. He said to, to the Pharisee, "If this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is, right?" And he turns and he says, "Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher." He said, Two people were in debt to a certain creditor. One owed, fi one owed 500 days' wages, and the other owed 50. Since they were unable to pay the debt, he forgave it for both of them. Which of them will love him more? So Jesus begins with this parable about two people who were in great debt. One of them is in debt much more than the other one. There's two people in front of Jesus. Both of them are sinners. Which one of them do you think needs the forgiveness more? Yeah. Pharisee or the prostitute? I mean, seriously, Ooh. think about what Jesus is saying. That's There's two people. Intense. There's two debtors. There's two sinners. Who needs the forgiveness more? Who's standing in front of them? Well, Who needs the forgiveness? Dude, this is crazy because if you actually look at the, the, the quality of their sin, the, the Pharisee. If you hear that, that's my son Samuel, who I, I will not edit out. He's <laughs> spitting and squawking over on the side. Yeehaw! He's going. <laughs> Man, well, the, the, the sin of the Pharisees is to apply the works of the priesthood to everybody. No? I disagree. Well, talk to me. Yes, on some level. I mean, look at what's right in front of him. You have a prostitute. What is the prostitute doing? Having sex with people for money. 
at this moment. Oh, at this moment. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean <laughs> this is the problem <laughs> with the, the <laughs> with the, yeah. No, um, what is she doing at this moment? She's anointing Jesus' but, feet. But it's important. She is a prostitute. She has sex with people for money. She is degrading the dignity of the human person. Yes. But at this moment, she's washing Jesus Christ's feet with her tears. The, pro- the, the Pharisee is a teacher of the law. He's someone who tries to promote holiness. What is he doing at this moment? He's looking at another human person and seeing walking sin. Who do you think at this moment needs more forgiveness? I think it's the Pharisee. Yeah, I think it's the Pharisee when you put it in those stark terms. I mean, terms. isn't it kind yeah. of interesting? I, I think yeah. that's what he's getting at there. Dude, that's actually a really beautiful con- connection. It's, it's painful. Isn't it? Yeah, and good. Yeah. And he said to her, I mean, if you wow. read on the story, he says, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. He actually doesn't say that to the Pharisee. Why doesn't he say it to the Pharisee? Because the Pharisee doesn't seem to want forgiveness. He doesn't know he needs it. At least the prostitute is coming in humility and yeah. kind of bringing herself before Jesus' feet. I think it's really interesting. I think it's beautiful. I think it, it's, it's actually really profound. And it actually goes strikes to the heart of the, the core of these readings, which is forgiveness in the acknowledgement of sin. That, that actually, uh, at the heart of, I think, what the liturgy is trying to get at here is that if, if you are unwilling to acknowledge your sin, then, then you're not actually going to be able to allow the grace of Jesus Christ to be transformative in your life. Absolutely. Whereas if you do, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but it, but it does matter that the Lord wants to penetrate through that and actually draw you into life. This is what Jesus calls later on the unforgivable sin. Remember that? Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, that's the only sin that can't be forgiven. Why can't it be forgiven? It's because if you're sinning, if you're denying the presence of the very power that forgives sins, what's God supposed to do? You can't use that. If you can't even acknowledge you need forgiveness, then you're done. It's unforgivable because if you ignore that you need forgiveness— God's not going to force it. Yeah, then it's it's not it's not going to work. Yeah. That, so it's not a YouTube video challenge. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember that or like the cinnamon challenge, but that's a little bit different. Cinnamon what? No, no, no. no. Oh. Actually, what happened is there was this trend on on YouTube where they said um, you could do the unforgivable sin, and so they would like try to blaspheme the Holy Spirit and what? like record it. Oh yeah, yeah, it was bad. Oh, it was bad, but it's man. stupid. But that's actually forgivable too. I mean, just yeah. like you just have to be able to say like, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and. I, Otherwise, the Lord can't enter in. Right. He's respectful. Yep. So, friends, welcome to Lanky Guys Live. Thank you guys for being our studio audience today. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys all for listening online or wherever the heck you are. Um, in your car. In your car, Avery. On the line. <laughs> on a high rope. Doing your construction work, like that yeah. guy that emailed us the other day. Yeah. Or, or building a, a a space shuttle, as that guy in Russia is doing. Yeah, right yeah. Now. Russian Federation right. or in Australia, sailing ships and <laughs> shipping cargo. We have cool a cool audience. That's what we're trying to say to you guys. Just say it out loud. Oh what yeah, and oh uh, right. Oh yeah, yeah. I got reminded that uh, that Don Baselli just skipped uh, in front of. Why was I going to make fun of Don again? Because he doesn't listen to the first five minutes oh, when yeah, we made fun yeah, of him. That's right, exactly. So, so Don, I missed it. yeah, you fast forward best the part, past the best part. So <laughs> we're sad that you missed it, and you don't know what's actually going on and why there's children saying anything in the background. But we love you. <laughs> we do. I uh, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening. We will be back next week. Send me an email at uh, lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Check us out on Facebook. Um, However you find things on Facebook. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Tweet, tweet us. Tweet us. Do we have a Twitter? No. <laughs> Post us on Pinterest. <laughs> Dig us on Dig. 
And then what other social media are we not participating in? Instagram, Instagram us on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put pictures of us on Instagram. This is ridiculous. Yeah, this Let's is ridiculous. It <laughs> okay, God bring bless. it home, Brother Peter. Okay, land the plane. Goodbye, Goodbye everybody. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.